for SIBO if you've got IBS. In this episode of the Inside Knowledge for People with IBS, I'll share my thoughts on small intestine bacterial overgrowth and whether you should consider it a cause of your digestive symptoms, even if you've got constipation predominant symptoms. SIBO occurs when more microbes than normal grow in your small intestine. These ferment your food and interfere with your digestion and can cause the same symptoms as IBS, like bloating, gas, pain, diarrhea and constipation. But how do you know if this is your issue? That's what I'm going to cover in this episode, as well as how you can get tested. Welcome to episode 11 of the Inside Knowledge. I'm Anna Mapson. In this session, talking about SIBO, I've realised there's so much to cover that I'm probably going to split it into two sections. That's because I want to keep all the episodes under 20 minutes and there's just so much to say about small intestine bacterial overgrowth. I can't get it all done in 20 minutes. So I'm going to cover in this section, like, what is it? What are the symptoms? And a little bit about um, the causes and how you get tested. And then I'll do part two, which will cover some of the risk factors for SIBO and also treatment. So you might have to hang on till next week for part two. If you haven't heard about SIBO before, you might find the concept of having an overgrowth of microbes in the small intestine quite strange. I'm going to cover a little bit about how that could start, like how you would end up with a condition where you've got an overgrowth. The reason I wanted to focus an episode of this podcast on SIBO is because actually whilst it is extremely difficult to get rid of SIBO, there is a plan and in a way it can be quite reassuring to know that's the cause of your symptoms. So whilst I always hope people get a negative test result for SIBO because it's so tricky to manage, in a way at least you know what the problems are and you can try to manage them. Many of the main symptoms of SIBO are really similar to IBS. So you might be getting frequent bloating, excessive gas, either burping, a lot of burping or farting, constipation or diarrhea. Um, Abdominal pain can be quite a constant through the people I see who have SIBO, but again, that can be common to anyone who has IBS. Often nausea, particularly with constipation predominant symptoms, sometimes reflux as well, and that is due to increased gas in your small intestine, putting pressure within your torso that can then force open your sphincters and cause a bit of reflux. You've probably got some food intolerance and that's due to the way the bacteria are interfering with our digestive enzymes. And sometimes what people see is fatty stools. And again, it's just an inability to break that down. So the term for that is steatorrhea. So those are the, like the main symptoms, but clues that you might have SIBO over another kind of IBS would be things like if you feel worse when you eat high prebiotic foods or you take prebiotic supplements. So these are things like foods containing inulin or beans and pulses, onions and garlic. But again, This doesn't always mean that you've got SIBO. It's just these are potential clues. Um, Sugar alcohols as well. So things like xylitol, these might make your symptoms worse. Maybe when you take probiotics, you feel worse. And when you take antibiotics, you feel better. That is a big clue. If you've had to take uh, antibiotics for, I don't know, an infection in your skin, for example, 
and your stomach miraculously cured up whilst you were taking the antibiotics, that could be an indication that you've got an overgrowth of bacteria or microbes that are contributing to your digestive discomfort. Also, if you've had an episode of food poisoning that seemed to kickstart your symptoms, that is another sign that you could have a problem with your migrating motor complex. If you want more information on that, go back and listen to episode 10 because that is all about post-infectious IBS and that is one of the triggers for SIBO. So when I talk about microbes in your small intestine, obviously there are hundreds of different types of microbes that could be living and growing there and there are different types of gases that these microbes produce. The main three types that we know about that can affect your digestion and um, your gut motility are hydrogen, methane and hydrogen sulfide. These gases are not naturally produced by our body and I'll talk about testing in a minute because that is important the fact that humans don't create a lot of this gas and yet the microbes do and if you're wondering how these gas producing microbes get into your small intestine there are a couple of ways it's generally either that you have reduced defenses so you are not killing them off or you're allowing microbes to overgrow through a slowing down of your digestion. Those are the main reasons. So with a bit more detail behind what that might look like is changes in your migrating motor complex. So go back and listen to episode 10 all about post-infectious IBS because that shows how a previous stomach bug could damage your migrating motor complex which can then slow down the cleaning process for your small intestine which allows more bacteria to grow. You might also have ileocecal valve dysfunction which is the valve in between your small and large intestine if that starts to get loose and bacteria can migrate from the large intestine into the small intestine maybe there's a structural blockage in your small intestine that is allowing bacteria to overgrow this could be for things like small intestine diverticular pockets so these are like little bulges in your small intestine where food can grow and bacteria can just grow and they're not cleaned out by that migrating motor complex. Maybe you've got adhesions where your small intestine is sticking to the sides of another organ and just slowing down the process of digestion, slowing down the food moving through. Similar with endometriosis, this can also happen where you're just slowing down the progress of food. So that's like the motility, the slowing down of digestion. But the other thing is you might have reduced defenses so you've got more microbes coming in or they're not being killed in your stomach or small intestine and this can be down to a lack of stomach acid so maybe you've been on proton pump inhibitors like ppis blocking your stomach acid for reflux management Maybe you're not producing enough digestive enzymes, enough bile. You're not producing immune factors like secretory IgA or you've got lowered immunity. These are things that are allowing the bacteria to go in there where our natural defences would normally kill them off. And this can happen over a long period of time. It might not just be one instance that really solidifies the risk for SIBO. It could just be that you've got a lot of these small things building up over time. If you think SIBO could be the cause of your symptoms, you might want to get checked out and know for sure if you have got it. So there are 
different ways you can get tested and there's quite a lot of issues with the testing procedures for SIBO. It's a new-ish field in terms of gastroenterology and not all doctors are that on board with it, I will say. Um, so in the UK, across the NHS, it's very patchy as to whether you can get a SIBO test on the NHS. Some places will. You can order a private test and I can talk to you a little bit more about that later. But your two main options for getting tested for SIBO include breath testing and a small bowel biopsy, aspirate, where they go in through your mouth and go down with a small device and take a little sample of your small intestine juices and see what bacteria and microbes are in there. This is invasive. It's not a pleasant procedure and it's also costly. It has to be done in a hospital setting by doctors and it's only going to measure the top of your small intestine. Your small intestine is up to eight meters long. There's no way you're going to get a sense of what microbes are at the bottom of the small intestine. This is a process that's sometimes called the gold standard for SIBO testing. However, because it's so invasive, a lot of people won't have this as an option even under their doctor. The other option that is not invasive and you can do at home or in a hospital setting is a breath test. Now, as I mentioned, the microbes are breathing out, or no, they're not breathing. They are um, emitting hydrogen or methane or hydrogen sulfide. In the UK, we have the ability to test for hydrogen and methane only. In the US and some maybe in Australia as well, there are tests for hydrogen sulfide, which is the third type of gas. But at the moment, we have to make some judgment over whether we think it's hydrogen sulfide. And I can explain a bit about that in a minute. Coming back to the hydrogen and the methane. As our body doesn't create the, these gases, what happens is the microbes make them in your small intestine. That gas is absorbed through your small intestine into your bloodstream, it travels to your lungs and we it, breathe it out. So our body is getting rid of the hydrogen, getting rid of the methane in our breath. The process for testing whether the gas is present in your body is that you do 12 hours on a very low fermentable diet, as in there's nothing fermentable. So you just eat protein like meat and fish, white rice, no sugar, no milk, nothing. So nothing that could potentially be fermenting for 12 hours. Then you want to fast for 12 hours. And then you drink a little sugary solution that the kit includes. And then you breathe out every 20 minutes into some small bags that the test kit provide. So every 20 minutes, you just do a deep breath and breathe out. And then these bags are sent off and analysed to see how much hydrogen, how much methane is available in your breath. There is a little bit of controversy over the tests, not controversy, but... Um, discussion I should say about how to interpret the tests and also how to kick the tests off so you know I mentioned you drink a sugary solution there is some discussion across the world in different uh, nutrition bodies and different placebo practitioners about what is the best sugary solution to use there are various tests you can get using lactulose which is not digested at all and travels through your small intestine but doesn't always pick up all the microbes or you can do a glucose or a fructose test 
And these glucose and fructose could be absorbed, which means that they might not get to the end of your small intestine. So your bacteria and you could, your body could absorb it and then you would never know near the large intestine whether that sugary solution is driving methane or hydrogen pr production in the lower part of your intestine. So there's a bit of controversy or discussion, I should say, about what type of solution to use. And you can find all three tests available um, then also there's some discussion about where, what is the cutoff point. So, for example, with hydrogen, we're normally looking for a rise of 10 parts per million within the first 60 minutes. And that is the, the European guidelines. But in America, they look for a rise of 20 parts per million within 90 minutes. So they're looking for a bigger rise in a longer time period. In Europe, um, we're looking for a smaller rise within the first 60 minutes. With methane, it's a little bit more complicated. We're basically looking for a rise of over um, 12 parts per million or a score of over three. This is because with methane, the more you have, the more your constipation will be increased in most cases. And then also we look at the combined gases, like within the first 60 or 90 minutes as well, because the combined gases can be important. Where you've got hydrogen sulfide gas, generally we tend to see a flat lining of the results. So you don't see any rise as the gas hits your large intestine. And that is partly because it's often used up by the other microbes. I like using a SIBO breath test at home because it's non-invasive. You can do it in your own time. It, it is a hassle to do. The prep diet's a hassle and it's a hassle to sit there for three hours every 20 minutes blowing into a bag. But it doesn't involve having something shoved down your throat all the way into your small intestine. And it doesn't involve even taking any blood. So it's useful for people who really don't like invasive procedures. And it is probably the best thing that we've got at the moment. In an ideal world, you would do all three tests. So fructose, glucose and lactulose. In the UK, the tests are around £170. So it is not cheap and I don't recommend doing all three of them unless you have available funds to do so because that's really costly. I don't always do a test with everyone. Not everyone who I suspect SIBO in can afford the test. And there are things you can do anyway, making some assumptions based on your symptoms, based on your reactions to food. And it's not always going to be about taking a supplement or excluding certain foods. Often lifestyle factors are a really big part of SIBO management. So in summary, there are multiple causes of SIBO, symptoms are very similar to IBS and there are some problems in terms of the way you test for it, but it can help direct our treatment to a more specific supplement or a specific action or things that you need to do. The, the thing I would love you to take from this episode is that it can take a lot of time to reduce SIBO, but there is hope and particularly if we have a clear indication of what your levels are it might help us tune your nutrition plan in order to help you resolve your symptoms so that's it for part one part two coming up which will talk more about specific risk factors for SIBO but also I'm sure what you want to find out as well is what you can actually do about it okay that's it for now see you next time bye